Therefore, it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed unto them his hands and his side. The disciples therefore were glad when they saw God be praised. God be praised on this resurrection Sunday morning. My God, do you get the gravity if this had not happened? We wouldn't be sitting here right now. You ought to give God a praise for that. To my brother, my pastor, Pastor Tracy Eugene Ventus. I got calls this week, and I want to apologize to the ones who thought they was going to see him today. But uh, on Wednesday, he was down at the House of Hope, and he had this word, I thirst. And they say he blew the place up. I had one lady told me that uh, she was going to show up today to hear him. I was like, uh, well. I apologize, but no, I, I'm thankful for this opportunity he had shared with me. He wanted me to share on this, on this Resurrection Sunday, and I'm so honored, and y'all know I'm at home. And, uh, but he said when he called me to tell me, he's okay if I tell him that with you? He told me, you know, he had got together his two words for the week, and uh, he said he asked the Lord what to give him on Sunday. So Pastor Venice said, the Lord... In his mind and in his spirit, he heard me preaching in my voice in his head. So what are you going to say to that? When he, so that's why I'm here. But I'm here because I love God. We just thank you. We thank the uh, praise team for leading us. And Minister Kenny Graham this morning, he preached that heaven came down this morning. I have never, never heard him preach like that before. So uh, anyway, the text has been read, um, and I know we on a, I want to respect the time constraints we have. Um, the text has been read, and I like to use for a thought, the linen that couldn't lie. The linen that couldn't lie. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word on this Resurrection Sunday. Father, we pray that our uh, minds are open as your servants so we can see you on this Resurrection Sunday morning. Father, we pray that you speak to hearts as we share your word. Thank you for the privilege to be called to represent you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to moderate our thoughts and words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I would like to, before we get into the text real quickly, I like to highlight uh, this week that we call Passion Week. We call Holy Week. Uh, 
the ministers on Friday night uh, did an awesome job this past Friday with the seven last words here at New Mission. It was a, it was a very great service. Amen. Give them a hand. So as we look back on this prior week, go back to the Sunday before, it's when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on his final entry. He was riding a donkey, and the crowds, they took branches, palm branches and trees and their coats, and they threw them out on the road, and they were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of our Lord. That was that Sunday. On Monday, Jesus goes in and cleanses the temple and frees all the sacrificial animals because he knew there ain't going to be no need for these sacrificial animals anymore because I will be the one and only sacrifice today, tomorrow, and forevermore. So he clears the temple on Monday. On Tuesday, he teaches the the uh, religious leaders who were upset with him that uh, he, he scolds them and he preaches to them and teaches them that they were like whitewashed tombs. They were so beautiful on the outside, but they were filled with dead people bones and all sorts of impurities on the inside on Tuesday. Yeah. On Wednesday, one of his disciples, Judas, he works a side deal with the religious leaders and to portray Jesus for 50 pieces of silver. That brings us up to Thursday. I'm trying to run through this. Thursday was the Last Supper with his disciples, and Jesus washes their feet, teaching them how they should love one another, how we should love one another. Then Friday, Good Friday, was the most difficult day. It was Jesus, uh, his journey, it really turned treacherous, and it was so painful that these final days are that it led up to his death. And then Saturday, his body laid in a tomb where it was guarded by Roman soldiers throughout the day, which was the Sabbath. And when the Sabbath had ended at 6 p.m., they, uh, Nicodemus uh, treated his body for ceremonially with spices that he had purchased. And that brings us to our text. Amen. As we look at the text, we had a sunrise service this morning. I already told you about Minister Kenny Graham preaching. But in this text was the, uh, so to speak, it was, this was the first sunrise service. It takes place early in the morning 2,000 years ago. It was the first day of the week, which was Sunday. And it's not only early in the morning, it's dark. It's, it's, it's the dawning of a new day. Some of us have been on the road to know that, you know, things happen early in the morning. Some of us have been on the road to know that, you know, we can bring it to Jesus, whatever our problem is, but Jesus is never late. He is an on-time God. He does not, you know, Jesus has a way of doing things, and the problem is solved even before we get to the end of the problem, he's already solved it. That's what kind of God we serve. So it's dark and it's early, like this morning was. 
But you know, there's something too, as those of us have been on the road for a while, there's something about spending devotional time with Jesus early in the morning. Can I get a witness? There's something about that early morning spending time with him. I mean, I mean, you can do devotion with him anytime you want, but it's, it, for me, in my experience, it's something about getting up and giving him the first fruits of my life to spend that time with him, to spend that time with him. So we get a clearer picture of this text. Mary has a major question that's producing a lot of anxiety inside of her. You have to go back to Mark 16 and 3 in order to see the question. And they said among themselves, who will roll the stone away from the door of the tomb for us? Who's going to do it? When we were in Israel, Pastor Venice and I and others that went, uh, we possibly visited the tomb that Jesus was in. Uh, It was a garden tomb. It was kind of this stone, but this stone was, as, as you said earlier this morning, was not no big round stone. It was, it was like on a sliding track, like a, this stone was so large and they had to slide the, the, the stone in front of the tomb and it was heavy and you just couldn't walk up to it and roll it back like you do your sliding glass door, but it took some muscle. It took several people to move this stone away. So they had come to anoint Jesus' body for permanent burial. They had, they, you know, they had to do it hastily. It was Good Friday because they, they had to know, they had to have the body off the cross before Passover began. So they are coming with their alloys. Mary is coming with her girls with alloys and different fragrances to bury his body to do it permanently to do it decently because they knew Jesus or what they thought was that he was still dead. So they wanted to honor him and do the fragrances and and, and bury his body in a respectful way because they didn't embalm then. So their concern is dark and it's early. So the question they say is who's going to roll the stone back for us? But when they get there, the stone is already rolled away. Give God some praise. You know, we kind of have some of that same anxiety in our own life. We ask questions like, who's going to do this? And who's going to do that? And how am I going to get this bill paid? And how, how, well, how's my job? Are they going to lay me off? Am I going to get a pink slip? How am I going to make my rent? How, 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 who's going to do it? But Mary was worried about something that was already taken care of. She was saying, who's going to roll the stone back? But the stone was already rolled away. But Jesus, who's like we get anxiety, he's already 99, probably most of the time, has taken care of the problem that we had anxiety about. So they get there and the stone is rolled away. Let me get back to the text. In verse 2, It says, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple who was John, who Jesus loved and said, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they had laid him. 
They was thinking it was a graveyard robbery. They thought somebody had come and stole the body. Verse 3, Peter therefore went out with the other disciple, which is John, and they were going to the tomb. They were thinking like somebody that stole Jesus' body. This is a graveyard robbery. So they both have a foot race to the tomb, and John gets there before Peter, and he should because he's younger. He should get there before Peter. If I had a, if I had a race with Myron 2.0, I know Myron's going to beat me. But the problem is he got the speed, but I got the wisdom. So John gets there before Peter as we continue to uh, observe the text. And here's where I want to kind of camp out at. In verses 5, 6, and 8, I want you to notice something. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to notice this. There are three words that stand out in these three texts. The three words are simple words. It's either see or saw. It's either see or saw that's in verses 5, 6, and 8. Look at at verse 5. It says, and John, when they got to the tomb, see the picture, right? They get to the tomb, John gets there first, he stoops down, and he's looking in, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. But here's the catch. John didn't go in. He's looking from the outside in. He sees the linen cloth, the shroud, that Jesus would have been wrapped in. He looked at it, but he didn't go in. And in the Greek, When we translate from Greek to English or Hebrew to English, the words sometimes get filtered or watered down where we use one word for many things. But in the Greek, this word in verse 5 says, he blepied. Blepied is the Greek word for it. And what that means is that he just took a casual look. He just took a casual look. He saw it. Okay, he ain't in there. He took a casual look. There was, there was no specific investigation to what this means. It, he, he took an overview. Uh, I'm coming down your lane in a minute. I just want you to know there's some black-eyed Christians in the church. You approach your relationship with God so casually. Some of you here this morning, it's just a casual visit. It's Easter. Let, let me keep moving. Let me keep moving. Peter then goes in in verse 6. Y'all, see the, y'all saw the word see in verse 5, right? Okay, Peter goes in. The text says that Peter came in following him, and when he went into the tomb, he saw the linen clothes lying there. Y'all see that? But there's a different Greek word for that, saw, than what we had in verse 5. That Greek word is theorized. It's where we get the English word theory. Peter saw more than what John saw. John saw from the outside looking in, but Peter sees it from the inside looking in. You see, Peter is closer. See, sometimes you got to get closer to God. That's the whole God. Peter gets closer. Peter is closer to the situation. He's trying to find out what does this mean? 
Peter is looking at the clothes and he's thinking, and, he, and I imagine he was thinking, why would a person steal a body and take the time to take the clothes off the person? That's why I love the word. The word make you dig. The word is better than any movie you could ever watch. So, so, so Peter is saying, why would somebody do that? Why would you steal the whole body with the clothes on? It would just be quicker for him to just snatch the body and take off with the body than keeping the body and taking all the clothes off and laying them there in place. Peter is theorizing. He's thinking. It doesn't make sense. If somebody broke in your house, uh, uh, into your house and, and they steal your 65-inch 4K flat screen TV, would it make sense that they would make up your bed? Would it make sense if they ran the vacuum? Okay, I'm gonna steal this 65. I'm gonna vacuum. Would they wash your dishes? No, they're gonna take the 65 inch and they out. I gotta, I gotta come back to verse seven. Put your finger there. And the text says, and uh, uh, so when we get closer, when John went from the outside of the tomb to the inside of the tomb, when he got on the inside of the tomb, he looks and he sees. See, in verse 5, he saw, he saw in terms of a casual uh, observance. But now, John has come inside the tomb. And this is in verse 8. And he sees. But in verse 8, the Greek word is iodine. That means to understand something with a sense of understanding. He got a little closer. First, he was on the outside. Now he's on the inside, and he's in the tomb, and now he sees, he understands now, and not only understands, he believes. He sees the napkin that was on Jesus' face and laid to the side. He sees the gray linen strips that were wrapped around Jesus' body from his feet to his head. They weren't on the floor, but still lying there as if still there was a body inside these strips. So John saw and believed. Unfortunately, Pastor Venice, like I said, and my fellow preachers, even preachers too, we have these kind of people in the church. We have some black-eyed people in the church. They come to casually observe, like John did at first. They stay on the outside, they look in. Even their relationship with Christ is a casual observance. Uh, they're doing just enough to stay saved. I know I'm talking to somebody this morning. They are curiosity seekers. They like, to, they like to be curious, and then they like to hear the gossip and take the gossip back what they heard. But my mother told me the dog that will bring a bone will carry a bone, too. So you better watch who you gossiping with, because that person you think telling you something. Well, okay. Okay. They're blessed by it. They're, they're doing just enough to be saved. And there's a, you know, and even since we've had this pandemic, so many of us have become so much more casual. We've become even more casual Christians. Amen, lights. We have been more casual with our relationship with Christ. You know I'm right about it. 
You've become more casual about reading your Bible. You've become more casual about praying. You've become more casual about spending time with the Lord. Then the second type, Peter, they are the theorists. They come, but they don't have full knowledge. They think they know everything that's going on in the church. They think they know everything that's going on in your life, but they don't have full knowledge. They have their opinions and theories. They think they know what what everybody's talking about. They think they know the Bible, but they don't have full knowledge either. They think that, uh, Pastor Venice, they can do your job. They think they can get up there. He's, uh, he just show up on Sunday and open his mouth. They think, if they are theorizing, but they think they can do you. They think they, all it is is to get up on Sunday morning, open your Bible, and stand up here and preach. Well, it's a lot more there than that. They are theorists. They are theorizing, watching every Sunday on Facebook. And the third person uh, John talked about is iodine. They, they, there's people who see and believe. Thank God for them who after a while says, look, I've been listening to this word being preached Sunday after Sunday. And they come to the conclusion that after seeing and observing that, I'm going to believe this gospel. That's the kind of Christian you want to be. They come to the conclusion that I believe the word of God. Is there anybody in the house that believes the word of God? They come to the conclusion that I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. They come to the conclusion that I'm going to surrender every area of my life to the Lord who bought me, who saved me, who kept me. They come to the conclusion that especially the way that God has kept me during this pandemic, you you ought to have come to some conclusion that it was nobody but God. Oh, I know you got your COVID-19 shot. I know know you got your mask on, but ultimately it was nobody but God that kept you. There are some people who are in the house who was in hospital beds on breathing machines, and God pulled them out. There are some people who was around people with COVID, and you know you should have caught it. You know more now without a shadow of doubt that my God is real. If the COVID-19 taught you anything, you ought to know more now that God is real. Is there, in these verses of see and saw are used each one of these situations, but now John takes a second look and now he believes. Does anyone, because they've taken a second look, thank God for second looks. Thank God for second chances. Thank God for second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eight, nine, ten, ten. Thank God for grace. Does anyone in the house believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? You know, it takes faith to believe that. It don't just take the preacher saying that. It takes faith to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Even, you know, because when you think about it, it really don't make sense. But faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. I have a question. What do you believe in God for? What are you believing God for today? Somebody here 
in the house or whether they're out there on Facebook or YouTube has lost their faith. Somebody in the house has lost their faith. You prayed and asked God for something and it hasn't happened yet. But since it hasn't happened, now you're walking in fear. Faith and fear don't mix. And now, because God hasn't answered your prayer, you're afraid. Have you ever kept asking God for something Do you get to the point you get so frustrated you say, I'm not even going to ask him no more? You're afraid to ask him because your faith is gone. Oh, but I hear a song in my head right now that the New Mission Mass Choir used to sing under the leadership of who would lead the song is Deacon Robert Horney. He was saying, if you're looking for a blessing and it seems like it just won't come. Doors are shut, friends are few, and it seems like you're all alone. But the devil, oh, y'all know that song? He is a liar. He's a deceiver too. My God. Say my God. Like Kenny said, you got to say it for yourself, right, Kenny? That's what Kenny told us this morning. I ain't going to say it for you. Say, my God is not through blessing you. Whatever the problem, my God is able to do. God is not through blessing you. So when Peter enters the tomb, let's, let's look closely what he saw. He saw the linen close lying there uh, in verse 6. He saw the handkerchief, and it had been all around his head, uh, not lying with the linen clothes, but the handkerchief was folded uh, together in a place by itself. And he saw grave clothes. He saw clothes in, in a certain order, and the grave garments were arranged in a unique way. And the word lying does not refer, does not refer to the fact that they were lying on the floor. They were lying in place. Yes, they were lying in place as if... They were lying in place. Let me explain this. They were lying in place as if his body was still in the clothes. Yes, when I'm telling you that Jesus didn't have to cut the strips off. Matter of fact, he didn't need the, the angels to roll the stone away. That was for us to see. He did not need that. He had already risen. So they saw all this stuff and they would, uh, like I said, they would wrap a body in linen cloth and somewhat like a cloth bandage. And they would apply these uh, like an engine arm or leg. They would wrap Jesus up and they would wrap his feet to his, from his from his feet to his neck, and the linen cloth was like a giant bondage. These wrappings were around the body of our Lord, beginning at the feet, ending at the head. Later in this chapter, Nicodemus and, and Joseph Rimmel used 100 pounds of myrrh spices uh, around the wound uh, to wrap him up and put all this myrrh spices on the cloth strips. They poured 100 pounds of spices on these wrappings, and these, these liquids would soon harden like a cast. So what John and Peter saw was the grave clothes were exactly the position the body of Jesus was in that he had occupied. The grave clothes were in the exact position 
But nobody was in there. Praise God for that. They saw the linen cloths lying there. They saw them uncut and undisturbed. Lying there like a body with form and the contour of Jesus' body. But his body was not in the grave clothes. The clothes were empty. His body had been miraculously, supernaturally removed by God the Father. Amen? Amen. The cocoon, it was like a cocoon. It was empty. Our Savior, our Deliverer, our Lord had resurrected. He had risen from the dead. Give God some praise. I have to wrap this thing up. I have to wrap this thing up. Allow, allow me to camp out a minute about these angels real quick. Whenever when Mary got there, she saw two angels there, right? This is, this is, this is, this, 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 this grabbed my spirit. Whenever angels appear in the Bible, in the Bible, men are terrified. Angels are some bad boys. When angels show up, men just pass out or they run. It just took two angels to destroy two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Just two. God made them to be incredible creatures. In Matthew 27, it says that there were soldiers guarding the tomb with the Roman seal around this rock. So if it was broken, they know that somebody from the outside broke in. Each soldier was assigned six square feet to guard the tomb. These soldiers were like the Green Beret of their time. These soldiers specialized in defending small plots of land. They were exceedingly good at hand combat. These were some bad boys. They were the perfect group for guarding Jesus' tomb. But when they saw these angels appear, they fled, they ran, they passed out because God's angels are bad. So you might want to be asking yourself the question, why all this fuss over guarding Jesus' body? The short answer is his enemies hated him and they wanted him dead. His enemies wanted to prove that he was nothing more than a fraud. The best way to prove that is to produce his dead body on the fourth day. That was the best way they could say, see, we told you he was a fraud. And on the fourth day, because Jesus said that he would rise in three days. So if you could do that, you know, if they could have did that, if they could have did, Christianity would be over. We would have no need to be here. But thanks be to God, by raising Jesus from the grave and, and Christianity spread like wildfire after he rose. So back to the text. So Mary Magdalene stoops down and she looks in the tomb and sees these two angels. It's dark and it's early. So she looks and sees the angel sitting at the head of the slab and at their feet. Yeah. Now let me real quickly revisit talking about angels in Jesus' case. Angels in Jesus' life, they were present when he was born. Amen? Amen. Yes, sir. They were there while the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock. Yeah. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, glory to the Lord is shown around them. They were so afraid, and the angel of the Lord said, fear not, for behold, I bring you glad tidings of good joy. There were angels, not only at his birth, but there were angels at Jesus' temptation. He hadn't eaten anything in 40 days. And the Bible says in Mark 1.13 says that angels were ministering to him. In Luke 22 and 39, the garden of Gethsemane, where he sweated great drops of blood, where he said, take this cup, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. There was an angel that came to strengthen him. I'm going somewhere with this. There were angels uh, in our text at his tomb. There were angels after he was raised from the dead and met with his disciples and 500 people were witnesses. There were angels at his ascension. There were angels when he comes back again. There would be angels. But I said all that to say this. There were no angels at Jesus' crucifixion. While he bled. Why he was beaten. Why they stabbed him in his side. There were no angels at his crucifixion. Angels at birth, angels at temptation, at his temptation, angels at the garden of Gethsemane, angels at his tomb, angels at his ascension, angels when he's coming back again. The word angel means messenger. That's what the word angel means. The angels came to let people know that he was the son of God. But why wasn't angels at his crucifixion? The reason why there were no angels at his crucifixion is because Jesus had to die without divine assistance. Jesus had to die without divine help. When on the cross, when they were spitting on him, when they were beating him, Jesus even said, if I wanted to, I could call down 12 legions of angels to assist me. That's 72,000 angels. One angel could have did the job. But the point is, he died being the sin bearer. He died for you, and he died for me. He died for our past sins, and he died for our present sins. He died for our future sins. He died without divine assistance. He died without divine help. He died without angels at the crucifixion. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not assisted by God or the angels because God had to abandon him. Because God had to deal, he's a just God, and he had to deal with sin. So, we were guilty, but he gave us unforgiveness. We were guilty, but he took the penalty. We were guilty, but he took our place. It was an incredible act of love, a love that I don't deserve. 
a love that blows my mind, a love that I can never pay back, a love. It was a love. It was a love. Now that's love. A love that loved me first. A love that even when I mess up, he still loves me. A love that makes me want to do right when I want to do wrong. It's a love that makes me want to worship him. Investigation of the truth. 